You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, Jared Sandler with you alongside Mike Bassick. Time now for the Hello Wing Column podcast we took off last week. Back with you here this week after the Rangers beat the Red Sox last night 8-2. to But the Rangers dropped 2-3. of three. They're three games under 500. It is July 6th. The trade deadline is a little over three weeks away, so we're obviously going to get into those conversations. But before we do, since the last time we chatted, Mike, the Rangers' bullpen uh, became even more of a mess than it, than it previously was. Matt Bush, uh, I think since our last conversation, has blown two saves, uh, two more saves, I should say, and is no longer the guy uh, maybe he is one of the guys who could get the ninth inning, but he is no longer the guy. Keone Kell is on the disabled list. Uh, Jason Grilly is here. Ernesto Freire is no longer. Uh, Tony Barnett's back. Jeremy Jeffers is back. What can be done to fix this bullpen? And, and when I say fix, I don't mean get this bullpen to be the bullpen we expected it to be when the year started, but get this bullpen to perform like an average bullpen that isn't going to be incredibly costly the way it's been so far? Great question. My honest answer is nothing. That I don't think it's fixable. That now we are three months into a season and you're going to be an inconsistent bullpen. My my answer to fixing it, Jared, would be trade for three relievers. And that's just not possible. Uh, I think you can trade for one and and that's realistic. And help it out. It could help. But still, even becoming an average bullpen with just trading for a reliever, I don't think it can happen. My unrealistic way to do it, Jared, would be you trade for a closer, you trade for a lefty-on-lefty guy who's good, and you trade for a guy that you feel really comfortable pitching the seventh and eighth inning because, first, Matt Bush, that's too much pressure on him. He's pitching the ball pretty good again after getting kind of out of that you're-the-closer guy. So we know that it's too much mental pressure on him to pitch the ball well in the ninth inning, and maybe that will come along uh, later in his career. Keone Kella is a very fragile pitcher. His whole career in professional baseball has been a fragile pitcher who throws awesome. He has good stuff, but he his arm can't handle 162 games. It cannot handle a professional baseball season it can handle a college season where you play Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's where he's better at. And then everybody else, for the most part, has been inconsistent. I will say LeClerc has been pretty stinking consistent, but he was your seventh guy, Jared, to start the season off in your bullpen. When you ranked him, he was number seven, and now he's number arguably one right now in your bullpen. That's not the way you wanted this to play out. So... When you consider the ninth inning, do we we agree that if Keone Kella can come back healthy, he's probably the guy? That the no rolls then would apply to the innings leading up to the ninth, 
and Keone Kell would be the closer? Or do you, I think do you they would think give? So? I think they would give him a chance. I'm not confident about him taking that role and running with. Okay, him. but you agree that he would he would be the next guy to get a chance to be the guy. Yes, if, if he's healthy. Obviously, right. if he's not That's, healthy for well, next month. Then. And even if he's healthy, I say yes and no because I think when he comes back after the All Star break, I don't know if they throw him right into the ninth inning in Game One after the All Star break. I think they have to pitch him in the sixth or seventh inning in somewhat of a non pressure situation because they need to see if his arm can then bounce back the next day. Okay, that's to, fair. to truly be a closer, you have to throw four out of five days. I know that's rare. It's rare that it happens. you got to be able to, though. But in the second half, especially in August or September, and you're fighting and clawing, and what do you know? You're in another 3-2 to two ball game for your fifth day in a row. And I know that maybe you didn't close all four of them leading up to that, but you closed three out of four. We need you for today, and we'll give you tomorrow off, and Kella can't do that. Okay, so I know the season ends in September, but I would also argue that in some ways the season could end on July 31st, if the Rangers okay. were to just sell. So I would I agree with you in a more ideal situation, but this is not that. And so I wonder if with all the bullpen trauma that this club has experienced this year, that while yet, if Keone Kella came back right after the All-Star break, you would like to be able to pitch him in a lower leverage spot just to get the, the tires moving. But I don't know if they have that luxury. Yeah. Because of A, the the urgency to win games, and B, the lack of production from other guys in the bullpen. The other thing, too, for me, and look, Kella is to to your point, Jared, I'm not arguing with no, you. No, here. no, no, no. It's no a conversation. Your your answer is the right answer. It probably will be Kella. But I also remember when he was in Houston earlier this year, was it Marwin Gonzalez who took him deep to and and they ended up yeah, losing the a grand, game? Was the grand slam down the right field line. And I know that's just one game. There's been plenty of times as a fan of the Rangers watching Kella where the moment gets too big for him and he cannot throw the ball where he wants it to go. Uh, there's There looks to be indecision on the mound. Now, other times he looks really good, but that's a young guy who's still trying to figure out how to be successful in the major leagues. He hasn't proven to me that he can even be a positive seventh or eighth inning guy for a whole season. Now, that's what it is. That's where you're at as a Rangers bullpen. He's going to pitch the ninth inning and be a closer. But for me, I would, if I was on the Rangers staff, I'd say, what the hell? Let's do it. But he hasn't even proven through his short, young major league career that he can even handle the seventh and eighth inning on an every game basis. Yeah, no, that's fair. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with, the, uh, with this bullpen at the very least for the rest of the month. And if the Rangers... Uh, are buyers or are going for it, even if they're not big buyers, it'll be interesting to see how this bullpen performs yeah. the rest of the way, whether things even out and maybe they come back to reality and improve because, yeah, you know, maybe we just misevaluated this bullpen. You know, no, maybe. I yeah. guess we did. Yeah, everybody we misevaluated did. this bullpen. You this did. Bullpen, I did. Yeah. John Daniels did. Yeah. Jeff Bannister did. Every human being that thought it was going to be good, misevaluated it. But even even with that misevaluation, I don't I still don't believe that this bullpen is as bad as it's performed. Does that make sense? I don't know that it's a good bullpen. It might be a bad bullpen, but they've been worse than a bad bullpen. They've been an atrocious bullpen. And I wonder if it's the worst uh, I've ever seen since 09 because that was the first year I've come into not playing baseball. So sure. from 09 to 2017, this is the worst bullpen in 
that short Texas Rangers history. So just like we always talk about things evening out in, in the sport of baseball, I wonder if things will even out. I wonder if Tony Barnett will have a better second half, if Jeremy Jeffers will have a better second half, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but that's a, that's a plan of hope. And we know that uh, hope is not a plan. So yeah. um, it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, as far as a trade uh, is concerned or trades, you know, I, I just don't see the Rangers going out and getting a David Robertson or an A.J. Ramos. I don't even know if I see them going out and getting an Addison Reed from the Mets. I think we're we're looking at the dollar store here. And you know what? The Rangers have had a lot of success at the dollar store trying to make trades for relievers. But, uh, you know, there's risk with the dollar store. Uh, they went to the dollar store last year with Dario Alvarez, and that wasn't as big of a hit as... Uh, going to the dollar store for Sam Dyson was, yeah. But I, I wonder, I wonder what moves they're going to make. And I also think, Mike, you know, the Rangers are three games under. They need to finish strong. I, I think they need. A, yeah. They don't. I, I hate to say they need to or they have to, but man, it would certainly beho- uh, behoove them if they're trying to convince the front office of what to do to take two or three from the Angels and come out the gates after the All Star break strong. Because if they yeah. don't, uh, then. I think this front office will have to look at things and truly question whether or not a sale is what is best. That's the really big meeting, Jared, with front office slash coaching staff because it is the time right after the All-Star game. Yes, Jeff Bannister and the coaching staff and somewhat the front office get a little bit of a break, but not as long as the players because as soon as that All-Star game is over, there are serious meetings happening between front office and coaching staff on going forward in the second half. So to your point, Jared, this three games left against the Angels is huge because if you do, I'll go the opposite way, lose two out of three and the Angels are a little bit ahead of you and and the Royals keep playing well, you just start looking at it. And if you're John Daniels, I think you just have to end the meeting, say, I'm not going to help out this team. I'm not going to trade – a future 2019 or 2020 piece that I think can help us for 2017 when you guys are four games under 500 or five right. games under 500. We are going to go in the opposite direction and see if we can really help out our 2019 and 2020 team. I just want to throw this out there uh, because some people are saying, well, they should buy no matter what because look at 2015. They were under 500 when they traded for Cole Hamels and look what happened. Totally different situation because in 2015, when you looked at 2016, you didn't have several key players with expiring contracts. That's a big difference. This year, you do. Uh, you've got you Darvish as a, a free agent. I know Jonathan Lucroy hasn't really been a key player, but he's a free agent. Andrew Kashner, Tyson Ross, Carlos Gomez, Mike Napoli. Lots of guys are free agents or after this season And so it's not 2015. You can't compare it to 2015. The band isn't getting back together in 2017 necessarily. Uh, So I don't like those comparisons. I do think it's really interesting. I still don't know that the front office knows for sure what they're going to do, what approach they're going to (laughs) take. I do think that they've considered all sides. Like I don't think it's that they're unprepared. I just think they're waiting. I think they're they're in a holding pattern. They're circling above the runway because they're not quite sure exactly – uh, which uh, which runway they need to take to land. There's so much parity in the American League. They're approximately the same number of games out of the wild card spot as being the worst team in the American League. That's, that's how close it all is. All right, Mike, I want to ask you if you've seen a change here, okay. uh, and then we're going to get to some questions. You can always tweet us, Mike at Mike Bassick, me at Sandler J. So on Friday, 
a week from tomorrow, right? A week ago from tomorrow, Rugi saw 10 pitches and five plate appearances, and Banny went out of his way to call him out in the postgame show. Since then, and I, I've got to do, it's one of my off-day projects, I'm going to take, I'm going to chart every single pitch Rugi's seen, but I think that Rugi has done a much better job of laying off the obvious ball. I think there have been some at-bats where he's had two strikes, and he's swung at close pitches, pitches that with a bad zone could be called strikes, and I'm fine with that. Uh, but the pitches in the dirt, the pitches above his head, he hasn't laid off every single one, but he's done a better job. And yesterday, he didn't swing at a single pitch outside the zone. He saw three 2-0 counts. One became a homer. One was a four-pitch walk. The other one, he was hit by a pitch. And I've used this before. A very good player in Rangers history told me when talking about Vladimir Guerrero that Vladimir is going to be a Hall of Famer not because he was so good at hitting bad pitches. Vladimir Guerrero is going to be a Hall of Famer in spite of the fact that he so often would try and hit bad pitches. The more Rugi can rein in his plate discipline, the more dangerous he's going to be. And I don't know if it's sustainable. I don't know if it's going to last. But over the last <laughs> yeah. five games, Rugi has done a much better job. And I think we've seen it in the results. He's got hits yeah. in eight straight, but he's got home runs in four of his last five starts, I think. Uh, I think we're starting to see the results of a guy uh, who, with better plate discipline, is able to get back to being the player we thought he was going to be. You know what's funny is I put this out on Twitter, Jared, uh, just the other day, and it was Ted Williams in a Texas Rangers uniform and has a 21-minute video on him teaching hitting. And there are some things that maybe have changed a little bit in the way that coaches uh, teach hitting. But one of the basics Ted Williams was talking about was knowing your zone and knowing what ball in the strike zone you hit well and knowing what ball in the strike zone you don't hit well. And he just said, you know, arguably the greatest hitter of all time, one of them, he said, don't swing even at strikes that you don't hit good. Just don't swing at them. You're not going to hit them good, so don't swing at them. The pitcher's going to make a mistake or multiple mistakes in the at-bat at some point, and you're going to get a pitch usually in your zone that you can handle and hit well. It's so basic, right? That's like talking to an eight-year-old and saying, if you like it and you hit it good, swing at it. If you don't like it or can't hit that ball good, don't swing at it. And, and the other thing too here, Jared, is really weird, and maybe not weird, maybe Banny hit a button that, Odor, it works, is you call him out publicly. And I know that Banny does not like doing that. Most managers do not like doing that. But I, you'd have to think, Jared, right, that Iaposi, Jeff Bannister, uh, his teammates, a, a lot of people have talked to him throughout this struggle of a 2017 season and have told him, you're not seeing the ball. You're just swinging to swing and all kinds of things that Bannister then kind of put out in the public and it worked. Right? There's no way, Jared. That's where I'm going. There's no way that Rugi hasn't been told this probably 30 times this year. But the public, I don't want to say humiliation, the public calling out of him got him to change. How does that work? I mean, I guess some guys are immune to that. Some guys aren't, right? Some guys, I mean, that's why you have to handle every player yeah. differently. I, you could, for instance, Mike, be a guy that I could bash you publicly and it would have no effect and maybe it would even cause the opposite of the intended effect. I could be a guy where... 
it lights a fire under my tush. And right. All of a sudden, I become a world beater. Yeah. And I and that's and that's the thing is, it's something that um and I get it right back in uh thirty forty years ago managers would call out their players after every game when a loss happened and somebody made an error in the field or a really bad at bat happened or they missed a sign a lot of times managers would just say yeah uh he missed a sign that's why he, that's why uh, the guy got thrown out at second it was a hit and run and he didn't swing now. You never, you know, kind of hear that. First of all, you never really hit and run anymore. But yeah. uh, you know what I'm saying? It, it's just kind of one of those things that you just say, yeah, we'll clean it up or whatever. But you you don't go into why that negative thing happened or say, boy, that negative thing really cost us the game. You just try to be very generic, and I get it. It keeps everybody somewhat happy. But I think now with Banny, I just wonder if in his kind of book he has to write down Odor – it worked calling calling him out publicly. All right, uh, time to get to your questions. Let's start with uh, at TC in Dallas. He wants to know how valuable is a pitching coach, and I'm going to defer to you because okay. I've never been a professional yeah. baseball player, major league baseball player. A lot of people, as you're aware, are trying to get Doug Brokale uh, out of town uh, <laughs> yeah. because of the pitching struggle. So how much of okay. this, in your opinion, uh, falls on a pitching coach? I don't want to say there's a little bit, but not a lot in this situation because there are positives that Doug Brokell is doing. I think a pitching coach is more important to guys like Austin Bibbins Dirks. I know he's 32, but he's never been in the major leagues before. He can really help out with scouting reports and and throwing the game plan, uh, keeping the game plan the right way. He's not going to be as important to a guy like Cole Hamels because he has 10 years or so of major league experience and he's been through a lot. So he's not going to affect Cole so much. But a pitching coach, yes. If you're a bad pitching coach, and I'm not naming names, but I've had a few, they can give you bad scouting reports, uh, tell you certain things to do that just don't make sense. But you, some as a younger guy or a guy that doesn't have experience in the major leagues, you kind of have to – throw to that game plan the pitching coach put out because if you don't and you're unsuccessful, you're definitely getting sent back down to the minor leagues or released or something like that. So a pitching coach can have an effect. I will say he has more an effect on the starting pitchers than he does the bullpen guys. He can have a little bit of effect on the bullpen guys, but the bullpen guys, all he's doing is watching those guys play catch before a baseball game. And he's going around, and maybe there he's talking about a few things mechanically that they did or mentally that they did. But he's also saying, Jared, how are you feeling today? You feel if I needed you for two innings, Jared, can you go two innings? I'm in, coach. Right, and 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 so he's getting a feel for where your body's at, where you're mentally at, how and and that's kind of how he does it with the bullpen. There's a but the starting rotation you have a lot more effect because you do work with the whole game plan against each individual hitter for that individual pitcher, stuff like that. And all things considering, the rotation's been pretty good. Yes, I think Doug's done a good, at least average. Even if I was going to be critical, I'd say at least he's done an average job. I think he's done a pretty good job. I don't know what he can do when guys stop throwing strikes. He goes out there. I don't know if they have a stat for this, Jared. They probably do. Mound visits by a pitching coach. Doug Brokell's in the top five, if not number one in Major League Baseball this year because 
He's had to baby guys through a lot of innings this year. So a lot of people look at the bullpen. I know you just addressed it, but I just want to re-clarify. The bullpen struggles this year. You don't put that on Doug Brokale, correct? I will put maybe a little bit on it, but mostly I put it on the player. Yeah, I I just like. I think if you brought in whoever you think the best pitching coach is, whether you think it's Mike Maddox, whether you think it's somebody else, Dave Duncan, who I don't believe is in the game anymore, was nah, LaRusso's so. guy, yeah. right? He is considered a really good pitching coach Leo in my Mazzoni day. when he was with yeah. the Braves. But, Bra- then, but then, hey, I want to use that. Yeah. So, like, as far as the pitching and hitting coaches and – well, I'm sorry. I don't, I'll get to that in a second. I don't mean to yeah. cut you off. You, you finished with your thought. I, I was going to. If you brought in Dave Duncan today, yeah, and he, I don't think Dave Duncan makes this a good bullpen. Okay, and I agree, and I understand that you know, everyone wants or needs a scapegoat. No one is saying that Doug Brokale is a Hall of Fame pitching coach. Uh, no one. I don't. Uh, that's what I think. There, there, there are two sides to this, and people are not recognizing that there's a lot of in between. It's either Doug Brokale's at fault and fire him, or no, he's a great pitching coach. No, it can be in between. Doug Brokale can be an average or a good pitching coach. He can be a guy who's, yeah, he's fine. No one's putting him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and, you know, as far as the players are concerned and the versus the coaches, it's so tough to quantify the impact of a hitting and a pitching coach. Rudy Haramiro was considered the greatest hitting coach in the game when he was with the Rangers. Yeah. He goes to the Cubs and what, does he even last two seasons? Yeah, it wasn't long. And then Leo Mazzoni was considered the greatest pitching coach in the game. Well, he's yeah. with the Braves. He goes to the Orioles, and he's horse crap. Why? Yeah. Because he doesn't have Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, Avery, Millwood, all those guys. Why was Rudy Jaramillo not as good with the Cubs? Because he went from Juan Gonzalez and Pudge Rodriguez and Rusty Greer to Felix P.A., you know, and guys yeah. like that. So, you know, so much of this is on the players. It's just, but it's it's tough. And, and I'll acknowledge the one this. thing real quick on Rudy yeah. though, and you're right about Rudy in Chicago, was I was amazed that he could take guys, and there was a little bit of extra help here, but he could take guys like a Gary Matthews Jr. or a Mark DeRosa, who people know now on MLB Network, and some 4A, barely hanging on major league players, and then turn them into pretty stinking good hitters. Now, and I know maybe with a few of those guys in, in your Rangers history head, uh, they might have been helped uh, during that era. Artificially. Yes, but that's what impressed me about Rudy that I feel like he has on his board over a guy like Leo Mazzoni is that, and maybe I'm not a brave super fan, but that Leo never took what you're talking about. Uh, Odalis Perez was a stud back mm-hmm. in his minor league days, didn't really do it in the no, major yeah. leagues like he should have, but I was just impressed that Rudy could take random guys that couldn't do it other places and then all of a sudden they took off here. All right, so question here from uh, Willis Czar Hero. Oh. Uh, if Lucroy does get moved, how much of Robbie's production is sustainable? An ISO of 333 is not sustainable, but neither is a BABIP of 209. So just quickly, an ISO is isolated power. It's the difference between slugging percentage and batting average. BABIP, batting average on balls in play. League average is around 280 or 290, but I'd say for a guy like Robbie and it, Someone who fits in his speed profile, it's probably like 260, 270. Either way, he is probably due for some better luck. Uh, I also would say maybe Robbie gets knocked down a peg in the Babbitt because he doesn't use the whole field, and so it's easier to defend a guy like that. With with that being said, to me, Robbie's going to hit home runs, not at 
crap ton, but he's going to hit home runs. He's not going to be, I don't think he's going to maintain the pace of like 140 games. He'd hit 50 home runs, but I think he'll hit you some home runs. He'll give you some good at bats. To me, the reason why a Lucroy trade is okay is because of what Robbie's done defensively. I, the offense is great, but if you remember last year, one of the reasons why the Rangers so desperately needed to make an upgrade is that they needed a defensive upgrade at yeah. catcher. And Robbie, from that point until this point, has made significant strides in that department. I'll say this. The catching situation for the Rangers in 2017 has been a huge positive. I think if you compare what the catcher overall, whether LaCroix, Chirinos, put them together, what the catchers do for the Rangers is well above average for what other major league teams get from their catcher, especially offensively. Um, but I think it will drop a little bit uh, for Chirinos. Sure. But Chirinos has put himself in a great situation that on August 1st, it looks like the Rangers want to trade LaCroix, that he will be the primary catcher the rest of this season and probably the primary catcher in the 2018 season. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Uh, all right. This question comes from Brian. He wants to know, I would love to hear a realistic conversation about what our trade pieces might get if we swell. Okay. So let's first add this disclaimer. One. There are some years where people like us can absolutely nail what the market value is for these guys. There are some years where we can think that a player is going to get back X and he gets back way less than X. There are years when we think a player is going to get back X and he gets back way more than X. It just depends on the market. It depends on how desperate teams are. It depends on how many teams have their hands in the pot for a certain player to drive up the price. We can give a rough estimate, but... Unless you want to, I'm not going to tie my reputation to these predictions. Uh, my predict, I won't tie it to it, but my prediction is for you, Darvish. If you trade him, you get two quality prospects that you really like, and one more guy that you hope develops into Tanner Roark or Corey Knebel. Is that Corey right? Knebel? Corey Knebel, who you know, all star for for Corey there in in Milwaukee, who the Rangers traded away. So I think you get two quality, really good. Let's say the second best prospect or third best prospect in an organization, and the fifth to seventh best prospect, and then another guy thrown in who's like the fourteenth or fifteenth best prospect. There's my you Darvish prediction. Jonathan Lucroy, I think you're going to maybe get a guy who's considered the eighth to tenth best prospect in an organization, and then somebody who's considered the twentieth to twenty fifth best prospect in an organization, prospect wise. So you're not going to get anywhere close to Brinson and Ortiz. Uh, you would you would die to have one of those guys like them put into the trade. Just getting one of those would be huge for the Texas Rangers in that. So those are the two main guys. Who else do the people well, want to know? And, and I would I would just go. I want to add to the youth thing. I think you get two really good pitching prospects. You might get a package of more prospects, but prospect three, prospect four, maybe lottery ticket types. But I would say that of the two pitching prospects, uh, the the better of those two will likely be the other team's best or second best starting pitching prospect. Okay. Uh, so I think Andrew Kashner could get you. I mean, with the way he's pitching, he's got an ERA in the mid threes. I think Andrew Kashner could maybe get you something. We see how team, how desperate teams get for starting pitching when July yeah. 31st rolls around. Uh, I don't think Andrew Kashner gets you a top five prospect no. in a team system, but I think he could get you one in that five, in that six to 10 range. Okay. Tyson Ross. I don't, I, he I hasn't pitched that, enough. Yeah, I don't know you that don't Tyson know Ross gets you much. If I'm if I'm a team, let's say the Houston Astros, 
I, I won't trade for Tyson Ross. Yeah. There's too much uncertainty on how healthy he's truly going to be and what he can truly give me. I, I think Tyson Ross will 99.9% be a Texas Ranger on August 2nd. Uh, and he probably won't clear waivers if he keeps doing, if he does well, because he makes so little money. Sure. There's no con. So you couldn't trade him. Good I don't point. believe you could trade him after July 31st. And I think Gomez could get you a, a really good prospect. It depends on if you want one prospect or a few, if you want one. Uh, the Houston Astros won't want him. <laughs> no, the Houston Astros will not be in on Carlos Gomez. But I do think that you could get maybe a, the, the fourth to seventh ranked prospect in a team system. Yeah. I think that's a little high for him. Really? I do. Just because you're getting him for two and a half months. And I just wonder how many teams, and there's not, I don't want to say a ton, but I bet there's some that have written him off that, He's working in Texas, but that's because of going to work because of his issues in the past, uh, we don't want to take that on and possibly hurt our situation. I do believe there could be some, but because there's not going to be uh, a lot, I think it'll be tough to play a team against a team on a Carlos Gomez. Okay, trade. that's fair. I just think for me, the the center field defense that he has given this yeah. team is what would allow you to get a little bit more firm than you otherwise yeah. would. And he proved he could go to the corner if you trade for yeah. him yep. in, the, in that situation. Uh, Mike Napoli, you know, if he if he continues to hit home runs here in July, you could maybe get a, a you know, a, a, a 15 to 20th ranked prospect, a kind of a, you know, an A-ball guy who's a high risk, high reward type guy. But I don't, you know, you're not getting anyone that's going to change the way people view your farm system um, who else are we missing here? That would like, be, I think Napoli really doesn't get you anything. Yeah. I mean, I, that, yeah, you know, maybe, like I said, maybe a, a prospect who is not a, a quote, unquote there's nobody in prospect. the bullpen. Somebody's going to trade for. Right. And that's unfortunate because that, you know, if, even if, even if the bullpen was the way it was and Matt Bush was having a good year, you could get something for Matt. Bush. Right. Yeah. If he would have kept, well, you'd be in great shape. Like yeah. I said, if you would have just freaking closed out the games, you should have closed out on that 10 game road trip. You'd have been forty-four and thirty-eight coming into this homestand in first place, wild card wise. But you didn't, and you've put yourself in a position where we're talking more about today uh, selling than buying. All right. So quickly, we got a quick hit. This uh, from Tim is Ronald Guzman next year's first baseman. Uh, I, I think it's Joey no. Gallo, Gallo. Yeah, I think it's Gallo. I think Beltre's at third, and, and Gallo's at first. Uh, but Ronald Guzman's having a hell of a month of, or had a hell of a month of June, and if he keeps this up, then. He's going to force his way onto a major league roster somehow. Okay. Uh, from Ricky, uh, he wants to know, do you guys think Elvis is quietly evolving into a less powerful Beltre? No, I, I don't personally. I, I think Elvis is becoming the best version that the Rangers could have viewed Elvis becoming when they acquired him. That's You're, the way I would yeah. frame it. I saw that question on Twitter, and I thought more of the person that Adrian Beltre is in the clubhouse to what Elvis Andrus is, and I think they just have such different personalities. Uh, I, I will say, I do think Elvis, uh, three years ago, I would have said, listen, Elvis is just not a leader. I don't know why we try to put him on that pedestal, and that's okay. Not everyone is a leader. I do think Elvis has matured in a way to where he'll never be the Adrian Beltre, alpha, alpha, alpha of a clubhouse, yeah. but he could certainly be that guy's lieutenant. Okay, cool. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, he's Mike. I'm Jared. You can catch Mike weekdays from 10 to 3 on the G-Bag Nation. We'll also be out at AT&T in Arlington from 10 to noon on Saturday, so come by and say hi. This has been another edition of the Halloween Calm Podcast.